0: Welcome to the Nourishing Liberty podcast. I'm your host, Liz Reitzig, and Rachel Mills, our co-host, is here today.
1: Hello. Good to be with you again, Liz. I'm looking forward to learning a lot today. Wonderful. Well,
0: we know this is a
1: podcast
0: all about our food systems and how we fit into them. And Rachel, real quick, before we get started on the topic, I want to reiterate that We have a community and a website. Please check it out, nourishingliberty.com. Join up if you can. And Rachel, I also want to make sure that we give our listeners another opportunity to hear about you and who is Rachel and what is Rachel an expert in. So I'm going to share a little bit of how I see you. Mm-hmm. And I see you as this incredibly wise uh, communicator, and that is, in fact, one of the ways we met. You were the communications, you were the press secretary and communications director, right?
1: Yeah, it's interchangeable. Yes, communications director for uh, Ron Paul. Yes, indeed. On Capitol Hill in the congressional office during the years he was running for president, but I was not on the presidential campaign. Some people get a little confused about that. I was in the congressional office on Capitol Hill, which I love very much. Um, It was a great job, and it introduced me to all kinds of cool people, yourself included.
0: And you're also the person who I turn to and listen to when it comes to specifics on the economy, the dollar. Now, of course, I know we both get some of our economic wisdom from Dr. Paul. And so clearly he's been a mentor of yours, but you share a lot about the dollar, the economy. And I wanna make sure my listeners when pay attention to that when you're sharing that because you have that depth of wisdom. You've studied that, you've uh, lived it, you've been in that industry for so long. Mm-hmm. So everybody, if Rachel starts talking about economics, or the economy, tune in, because <laughs> she knows what she's talking about. And who knows, maybe we'll, maybe there are some comparisons with today's topic.
1: Well, today's- I think there's, there's a lot of overlap in your interests, which is food systems, and my interest, which is like economic systems. Um, and there's, there's a lot of overlap in uh, compatibility oh. and things if, if things were to collapse or go south or, you know, supply chains fall apart, you know, it's important to have your piece of the puzzle and, you know, the economic piece of the puzzle um, to have a, a plan in place for, for things going south. So I learned a lot from you about um, how to prepare and just be more food secure That makes a lot of sense. And I think
0: what you're saying about there being a lot of overlap, that there's so much fundamental truth in that because, of course, money is only a measurement of value for raw materials and services. And food is one of those raw materials.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the little pieces of paper that you carry around in your pocket are only good for what you can exchange them for. And if those are no longer exchangeable for anything of value, or if you can buy less and less and less, well, you know, you have a problem. And we're seeing that with inflation. And uh, my job today is actually uh, writing about precious metals. I'm a precious metals analyst and communications person, content person over at Lear Capital, which you may have heard about. Um, That is my day job. Um, and it's, it's kind of still doing the Lord's work, in my opinion, uh, trying to help people understand the value of gold for preparedness, for, you know, shaky economic times. And it continues on, um, in my mind, uh, Ron, Ron Paul's influence on me, uh, that I'm still writing about the Fed and all of that kind of stuff and yep. and all of that. So...
0: Topics that are near and dear to both of us and many of those tuning in. Mm -hmm. Yes, well, today's food topic is on American, well, not specifically, but it's a grass-fed beef and that is so fundamentally American when you think about the ways that uh, beef have helped establish our, uh, our culture, shall we say uh the the burger right the American burger but specifically in this case about grass-fed beef and taking a look at what does that actually mean and how does it end up on our plates so I know you have some interesting beef stories and we'll look forward to hearing those Uh, but the first
1: toss them in there when when it seems right when the first
0: thing that you know, we'd like to establish is what is, like, what is a thing that we're talking about? Mm -hmm. So grass-fed beef is kind of this term that a lot of people use, including a lot of farmers, that doesn't have an established uh, regulatory definition. So that means that when I say it, it could mean one thing. And when a farmer says it, it could mean something totally different. And when you say it, it could mean something different too. Typically, us consumers, right, those of us not producing this food, will think that grass-fed beef means that a cow or steer is raised exclusively on pasture eating grass and hay. That is normally what people would think. Cousy However, eat grass,
1: Cousy Cousy grass.
0: Yeah. yes, yes, they are herbivores and they are, they're grazers, so they'll go from a, one place to another place grazing as they go. And the thing is that we need to be careful of that is that if you're going to a store and looking at labels, since there's no standardization in the regulatory structure for that term grass fed, it can mean so many different things. Oh boy. Yes. Of course, I'm going to put in a word of caution here because I know farmers who have told me to my face that their beef is all grass fed. And I either know ahead of time or I find out later that, in fact, that is not entirely grass-fed beef. And either it's something like farmers buy the calves at auction a couple months before the slaughter, in which case they know nothing about that animal. Or they have access to grass, or they might get a little bit of grass, but they're getting feed in addition to that. And the farmer will have no problem saying, some of them it's grass fed. Mm. So transparency is really important in these things, because some people want to know, and it's important to them. And again, transparency, you know, we always come back to transparency, because it's about that relationship between a farmer and a person who depends on that farmer. And having that transparency and that honesty in place builds that relationship. Wow.
1: So tell me um, what's the opposite? Like what's the alternative to grass-fed? Like what there's grass-fed and then there's what?
0: Yes. So the normal, the standard is that steer are raised on big, huge confinement operations. And usually these are huge feedlots out West. And so what that might look like is big ranches, big farms will have however many head of cattle, a lot. And they'll probably graze them for several months. And then they'll all go to a feedlot for the last few months, couple months, a certain time period that is not insignificant. And they'll get fattened up by getting fed GMO or conventional grain mixes. So that usually means it's GMO corn and GMO soy. And of course, GMO stands for genetically modified, which means that all of these grain mixes have glyphosate on them. Yeah. Which means the cows are eating the glyphosate, which means it is getting into their fat and getting into the meat we're eating.
1: Yeah. And glyphosate is that's Roundup basically, right?
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. It's
1: a herbicide, pesticide?
0: It's an herbicide.
1: Yeah. And I I know that RFK Junior talks a lot about glyphosate. And um, I think
0: they just won a big court case, didn't they? Yes. There's a lot going on with glyphosate.
1: Yeah.
0: Learn yeah. to spell it and look it up and follow it because it is not something that we want in our bodies. It's not something we want in our soils or our food. It's, it's not good news. And being aware of it is the first step to avoiding it.
1: Right. And, uh, soy, uh, that's like a a hormone. It's, it's, it can be a synthetic estrogen or it has something to do with estrogen.
0: Right. So my understanding of it is a lot of plants make, well, let me back up for a second. So all plants have phytochemicals in them, which are essentially plant chemicals. Mm -hmm. Some of those phytochemicals are designed to repel or, uh, otherwise damage certain insects. And so my understanding of soy is that one of soy's defense mechanisms is they have phytoestrogens that when the insects start to nibble away at that plant, that particular hormone, phytochemical disrupts the insect's ability to function. And so that's the plant's natural mechanism, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But of course, it, it does affect us as well. And it, you know, if, if somebody's eating a little bit of soy sauce on their rice, I mean no big deal, right? right? But if you're taking fields and fields of soy and processing them into soy oil and soy protein isolate, and turning it into other unrecognizable things, and then we're getting that or the cows are getting a lot of that. Yes, that is going to have a much greater impact on us than a little bit of condiment.
1: Wow. I mean, that's, it's, it may be off, off topic, but, and maybe save for another day, but it makes me wonder about, you know, all of the, the, the trans issue that has come up everywhere, all of a sudden. <laughs> It's seemingly, I I wonder if if there's some issue, if there's something in the plastic, something in the packaging, something in the food that's, that's interfering with hormones. Anyway, another topic for another day.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, The thing that we need to do, the first step is being aware of how your beef is raised. Mm -hmm. What are they fed? What is their process? And then you're able to make an educated choice when you go to the store, when you talk to a farmer, when you're eating at a restaurant. The caveat there of course being that if you're going to the store and you're just looking at labels, you don't really know because like I said there's no standardization for the term grass fed. So companies they can put that label on and and let's just pretend for a second there's really good intentions at some point in the process for those labels. Well, what's the follow-up? What's the inspection process? How do you know if that's getting glitched or where it's getting glitched or who's trying to make an extra buck and putting a wrong label on something?
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: the the concept to me, the concept of grass-fed beef from overseas or someplace that the, the accountability might not be as strict, then you really just don't know what you're getting.
1: It's marketing,
0: it is marketing Um, all the way. And that being said, I mean, it might be true, but are you, how are you gonna know? Yeah. I mean, and so one of the things to think about is knowing where the farm that something is coming from and finding out the practices. And again, the more localized you get, the more you can have that direct relationship the real transparency go out and see the cows and see if they're getting or if they have enough access to land because if you go to a farm and there's like not even enough access to pasture you can bet there's something kind of sketchy going on
1: right <clears throat> yeah well speaking of knowing your farmer <laughs> I met a farmer the other day great yeah at a big box store it okay was, <laughs> it was it was really kind of funny it's one of these stores where they give out this, the free samples,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they were giving out samples of this veggie burger. Um, now it wasn't like a Franken veggie burger; it actually looked like vegetables. And there was this uh, gentleman like standing right there, and he was looking at it like I don't know about this. And I was like, Oh, it might be good. I'll, I'll give it a try. It's 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 not gonna compete with the real thing, but you know, just you know, we'll keep our expectations low. and then he mentioned that uh he's a he is a farmer or a rancher he has like beef cattle he he grows and raises Angus beef and I was like oh my gosh it's it's so funny eating a veggie burger with a Angus beef rancher um and Mm -hmm. we we determined that it wasn't too bad as long as you're not expecting it to taste like beef
0: yeah good
1: (laughs) anyway that was funny it was it was just so so cool to like run into an actual farmer there at the store that I go shop at they're just they're just people in your community yeah. and you know as, i mean as long as you're not in like a a big major metropolitan area you know if if you've got you know some kind of rural area within driving distance you you can run into farmers just doing everyday things yep Exactly. Anyway, and
0: Rachel, I mean, you know, you, you, you said, uh, an Angus, you said Angus cattle. So mm-hmm. I want to take just a second and go through some of the terms, because okay. I think that for some people, at least knowing the terms and knowing how to have a conversation around this will help spark those conversations at farmers markets. And, and i want to clarify a couple points because some people think that steers or young young beef are the only good ones um, so when we say beef it really means the meat from any bovine right cow steer bull and the difference being a, a steer is a castrated male bull is a not castrated male. i think we all we all know that one and then a cow Cow is a, technically a female who has had a calf. Okay. Technically, but we use it very generically.
1: And it's a heifer before?
0: It's a heifer before, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah.
1: Ah, how did I know that? <laughs> I have no idea. How
0: Good job. <laughs> so, um, so typically in the feedlot system, which we also call the confinement animal feeding operations, CAFOs, in that feedlot system they'll aim to have animals ready for slaughter by 18 months so they'll get them you know whether they start off with grass or usually they will start off with grass and then come to the feedlot to get fattened up Mm -hmm. but their goal is to have them at a good um, slaughter weight by 18 months but with grass-fed beef the the process is a lot slower and if there's if it's a place where there's A winter or a hard winter, animals have to use more energy during those winter months. So they're not going to be fattening up as much. So those animals can typically be anywhere from 18 months to three years before they're ready.
1: Okay. So does that mean the meat is tougher?
0: No, it doesn't. And so I have a fun story to tell you. Typically, we think the young Angus are the best meat. And I would say we probably have that idea through marketing. However, some of the best beef I have ever had (laughs) has been from an old retired dairy animal. Yep. That's still all grass fed. And it was, I think it was either like a Jersey or a Jersey Normandy cross. So you can get really spectacular meat, flavor and tenderness from any breed and from a whole variety of ages right? But if you think about the industry and how they'll typically make the biggest bang for their buck, so to speak, is if they get those animals ready quickly for slaughter, Mm -hmm. they're going to have an 18-month-old ready to go and then next batch ready to go next batch. So it's really an efficiency thing on their end rather than it has to be that way because we like it best. It's not the case. And so if you do have opportunity to get local grass-fed beef, there, there are a variety to choose from. You can talk to the farmers about breeds, about what kind of, you know, is it a cow? Is it a dairy cow that's retired? Is it a steer? And some farmers will, you know, they'll talk about uncooperative bulls ah. <laughs> that turned into hamburger. So. <laughs> If there's an aggressive bull on the farm, that usually won't last very long.
1: Uh-huh.
0: You'll get, it'll become a hamburger. You um,
1: <laughs> will lose.
0: Yes, exactly. Oh. Depending on what the farm is looking for in the breeding bull. But yeah. when you go, when you go small scale and you go local, you will get some variety, right? And rather than every single hamburger tasting exactly the same or every steak tasting exactly the same, you'll get a little bit of difference. Some will be meatier. Some will be a little less flavorful as you try the different breeds, the different ages and the different seasons. And where are they? You really do get slightly different flavors. It all still tastes like beef, but you're going to notice that it's not all the same.
1: So can you taste beef like you and tell different things about
0: the cow like what I doubt it (laughs) I doubt it I mean I you can tell that like you can tell when it tastes not the same as what the last one tasted like but you can't I wouldn't be able to say oh that's because this one is a this breed or anything like that I don't know if that's even a thing but that would be interesting to hear if somebody else does
1: I like, I'm just wondering, like, could you taste beef and tell if it was grass fed or not? I doubt it. Okay.
0: Maybe because sometimes the, um, sometimes the, um, the, the corn fed is much fattier Mm -hmm. and that's what they're designed to be. So, I mean, but it wouldn't necessarily be, uh, uh, all the way, like, there's so many exceptions. Right. Okay. And typically grass fed is leaner. So if people are looking for a leaner meat, there you have it.
1: Okay. That makes sense because grass has such little nutritional value per volume. So the cow uh, has to do a lot of work. Yeah. To- <laughs> Yeah, to be fed that way. So so that makes sense.
0: Um, They're also designed, you know, they have those four stomachs are wonderful grazing herbivores of North America. And uh, that came out a little bit wrong. So just like the wonderful grazing herbivores of North America are designed to eat and graze and walk as they go, Cows are too. (laughs) That's what I meant to say. I'm not trying to say that they're just like them or they are them. Um, And that is part of the process, right? Where cows will graze, they'll disrupt a certain area of pasture, Mm -hmm. which will cause things to happen in the soil. And then the cows will leave behind them their wonderful black gold, right? Yeah. (laughs) And their nitrogen rich urine. And then because of the way that cows eat and digest, there's still enough leftover afterwards in the grass and in what they leave behind that the birds can come along a couple days later. And what they do is they effectively spread that manure. They use their little feet, Mm -hmm. they spread that manure and the birds add their own nitrogen rich manure to the fields. So, the process of grazing, cattle grazing, creates topsoil.
1: Wow. It riches that, that way. way. How it all kind of works together.
0: Isn't it amazing? It is. It's amazing. So, when you are getting a local grass fed steak, you are treating yourself really well. It's also very nutrient dense, mm-hmm. you're treating the environment very well. You're treating your local farmer very well and those animals get to live a real natural life until they die
1: well it, it's it's certainly worth putting some effort into trying to source that kind of thing so that's it good is to about
0: yeah yeah and there's two ways Of doing that, right? We talked about this a little bit in the episode where we talked about meat processing Mm -hmm. because you have two systems where you have farmers who process at local custom slaughterhouses and you would pre buy a whole half or quarter.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a lot to buy
0: at once. So, the other option is you find a farmer who's got an appointment at a local USDA slaughter facility and then you can buy by the cut, Mm -hmm. right? If you want more details on that, go back and listen to that episode. It's quite yeah. fascinating. And Rachel tells some amazing stories in that episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I told the story. I think that was the one where I, I talked about um, in Haiti. I was a missionary kid in Haiti while I was in sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And uh, for sixth grade, for my sixth grade year, uh, my dad was a surgeon. And so he worked at a. A field hospital in a very remote area. So we were part of this uh, rural Haitian community and every week, Saturday morning, six o'clock, very early, the local butcher would butcher a cow and everyone in the community that wanted some beef would show up with their bucket or their pail or their container and they would just, you know, they would butcher the cow right there in front of you and then measure out uh, how much you want. And they don't care about which is filet and which is chuck or which is whatever. They it's just, just strictly by the pound. And then you take it home <laughs> to your mom in your little, you know, <laughs> bucket. And it's twitching. The meat yeah. is twitching. It's freaky. Yeah. So wow. yeah, that's that's that was quite an education about, you know, where does your food come from? You know, and and as a sixth grade girl, like that's hard to watch. You know, it's, it takes some some guts to you know stand there and watch them butcher this cow and slice it up and then take some home. Yeah,
0: yeah, I did not have that experience as a young one, so I can only imagine. I mean, but it made quite an impression
1: on you. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean. I guess kids in the States had horror movies and we we had the weekly butchering.
0: I mean, but on the other hand, did it give you a sense of honor for that animal's
1: life? Yeah, very much so.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it, it, it doesn't like right now it seems so trivial, right? You go to the store, you pick up a plastic wrapped steak or hamburger meat. And it's so trivial. Like, and then think about the food waste that we have in this country, because we don't honor the life that it came from
1: yeah in haiti they would eat every or use every single part of that cow except for the gallbladder the gallbladder does not taste good <laughs> okay and and the actual head i don't i don't think they ate the brains okay but you know pretty much everything else they used ate you know there was no waste
0: yeah, and, and it's amazing too, right? When you think about all the ways that you can utilize this wonderful product.
1: Yeah, And, then and it's you, not
0: just the choice cuts. It really isn't.
1: Yeah, and then there's leather from the hide, you know. Yeah, everything was put to use. Yep. But yeah, it was, it was one cow a week fed uh, that little uh, mountain community.
0: That's amazing, and do you know it was the cow exclusively grass fed or did they get grain surely grass fed right.
1: Grass fed I mean it's free. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. i'm trying to remember if it tasted different to me or if I remember a different taste I, I i'm like you I don't think I could tell the difference, maybe a slightly gamier taste but.
0: See, I've noticed that in some, some, but not all. So it's, it's definitely not a universal thing. And I think it, uh, I think it has more to do with, I don't know, maybe what exactly what forage they're eating or how much they're moving. I I don't know, but it's only sometimes Hmm. in my experience, I've had lots of grass-fed beef at this point.
1: Yeah. Bet you
0: have.
1: (laughs) Is there a different way that you need to cook it?
0: Typically, you'll want to cook it lower and slower. Okay. There there is a little bit more of that connective tissue, but of course your steaks, I mean, grill them, serum, grill them, eat them, right? Eat it raw, eat it rare. Did I say raw? No, (laughs) eat it rare (laughs) Um, and enjoy it, right? So Mm -hmm. another thing, another whole concept here, and I'm sure you saw this in Haiti is we have areas where we cannot grow food, right? Mountains or whatever makes it inhospitable to growing grain or growing produce. And so what do cows and goats do? They take that stuff that we cannot eat and they turn it into stuff we can eat. Yeah. (laughs) And it's such a great way for that conversion to happen because we can't go out there and eat grass. We're not gonna get any nutrients from that, Mm -hmm. but the cows can, and then they provide us the nutrients, either through milk or through the beef. Mm
1: -hmm. It all works together, doesn't it? It really does, it really does.
0: Yeah. What else?
1: Have we gone through all of our notes?
0: I think so. Well, there's there's one thing I'll mention, which is some people, um, really prefer grass-fed because of some of the component nu- nutritional components in it that are not in or very, very tiny amounts in the uh, corn-fed. And that's one in particular is the CLA, conjugated linoleic acid.
1: Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you about that.
0: And if I recall correctly, that is one component that helps our bodies Fight cancer cells.
1: Whoa.
0: Yeah. And so I know plenty of people who in their own research, their own uh, knowledge, their own education, they determined that, well, they, they had cancer. They were diagnosed with cancers so and they determined grass-fed beef only. Wow! And they experienced great results from converting over to that. From conventional to grass fed. And that's, this is one of the reasons that it's so important to have that layer of transparency between the farmers and the buyers.
1: It's a matter of life and death. For some
0: people, for some people, it is of utmost importance.
1: Okay, so once once again, that is CLA, conjugated linoleic acid. Yes. Yes. Okay. And there's more of that in grass-fed beef.
0: Yes. Uh, there's some, I don't know. It's been a while since I've read up on it, but I think there's some caveat, like if they have a certain amount of grain, like it pretty much all disappears. Oh, wow. It's a, it's a, yeah. It's, it's a important enough for us to get that. We also have beef in general, has high levels of magnesium. Of course, it's got the protein, the iron in it that we need. So it's a very healthy food and it helps us build what we need, our muscles. It helps us. Uh, And if you get certain cuts of the beef, the not better ones, (laughs) slow cook them. And you have some of that connective tissue, which has collagen in it. And that's very important to us. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's, you're not going to get enough collagen just by eating non-tender cuts of beef that you have to cook for a long time. You're not going to get enough.
1: You need pot roast.
0: Yeah. Pot roast or the oxtail, right. Huge amount, right. All of those little, all the joints, think everything that has joint or connective tissue in it, Mm -hmm. going to be higher in collagen. The bones, if you can get bones from your, your beef farmer, They're so good to make stock with or bone broth.
1: Very good.
0: But it's vital that you actually know that if you're seeking grass-fed beef, that you have that layer of that level of transparency. You know that your farmer is being honest with you. Cannot emphasize that enough because unfortunately, some less than ideal players, And realize that they can get this much more for claiming their their beef is grass fed and it's not really. That being said, I'd much rather, I'd much rather buy from a farmer who tells me, you know what, they get a little bit of grain on the weekends or something like that.
1: Yeah, just just say so.
0: Just say so. Yeah. And somebody who I hear about later who just bought at auction. Yeah. You find out. (laughs) You find out. You do find out. Yep. Liz Reitzig, beef detective. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? We've all got to be that to some extent.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And actually, Rachel, I put together a wonderful guide so that you know what to ask at the farmer's market. You know what to ask at the farm Mm -hmm. about uh, whether or not to find out whether or not your beef is grass fed or whether or not maybe they're trying to take advantage a little bit. So head on over to the website, nourishingliberty.com and you can get that guide and go over it before your next trip to the farmer's market.
1: Awesome, going tomorrow.
0: (laughs) Yay, ask all the right questions.
1: Okay, I will.
0: Yeah, one of those questions, instead of asking a farmer, is this grass fed? Mm -hmm. Because then they can be like, yeah, of course. Of course it is. (laughs) You say, oh, how how do you raise your cattle? Or, what do you feed them? Uh You ask what breed they have because also they love to talk about it, right? Yeah. They know their work and they love to talk about it. Yeah. And if you have that connection, you have that relationship with the farmer, they'll tell you, like, oh, this batch got some grain because it was really cold. They'll tell you all the stories. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Nice. Yeah. I'd like to hear all the stories. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Well, My kids just got home from school, so I should probably head out to say hello to them.
0: Alrighty, and have fun at the farmer's market. I will. Remember, eat for health, know your neighbor, and grow some food.
1: Thank you, Liz. Bye-bye. Talk to you
0: soon.